Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Jenny Ames with Coa Banker in Chicago, Illinois. Last year, she closed 111 transactions with a total sales volume of $141 million. Her average sales price was $1.2 million, of which 31% were buyers and 69% were sellers. She has a 15-member team, five sales agents, one listing coordinator, one concierge service, one contracts coordinator, one weekend office manager, one marketing director, one bookkeeper, one team manager, one executive assistant, one personal assistant, and one team leader. Jenny Ames is the team leader of the Jennifer Ames Chicago team. She's been an agent for 22 years. In her best year, 2014, she closed 144 transactions worth $160 million. Jenny has sold over $1.5 billion in her career, making her a billion-dollar agent. In this call, Jenny talks about being named Rookie of the Year, how she ranked number three in Chicago by her third year in the business, intentionally working the luxury market from day one, how to quickly gain market knowledge and become the expert, looking for your portal into the luxury market, removing the Chinese wall between your personal and business worlds, lifestyle selling, why networking is important and how to do it right. How to differentiate yourself with photo quality and copywriting. Why you should never use a 35mm lens camera to photograph the interior. Why listing syndication fails to inspire and how you can correct it. Focusing on the details is the key to success in the luxury market. How to market to your past clients and sphere of influence with small and large events team dynamics, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Jenny. Good morning. Hey, Jenny. It's great to have you here. Jenny, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. It was a while ago. (laughs) But uh, after college, I did investment banking, and then I did film production. So I had a theme in my career history of doing deals. I was doing muni bond deals, then film deals, and then real estate sales. Wow. Wow. So in college, what type of degree did you get? I was a liberal arts student with a degree in English Lit. I think liberal arts is a great direction because it teaches you skills that cross over into virtually any industry. And uh, I think in as an English major, I learned how to communicate and think critically. And um, as I said, skills that translate you know, in, into all of my careers. 
Yeah, investment banking. I was expecting you to say you had a finance degree. No, um, in what I've done professionally, the key is communication skills, you know, knowing how to write well and um, interpret data and, and, and get along with people. And so for me, liberal arts was kind of the perfect training. So investment banking and film production, how long were you in those field? Uh, in investment banking, three summers and four years after college. And then I did film production for almost five years. Why did you decide to get into real estate? The short story is it was my mother's idea. She sold real estate for 30 years, which is why I didn't do it after college. Um, you know, I wanted to differentiate myself, as most children do from their parents. But um, I was working really hard uh, in both of my prior jobs. But at the end of the day, I didn't have control of my own ship. And I kept saying to, you know, wasn't fair, my bonus was this or, you know, that. And, and I, I generated all this business. And my mother kept saying, why don't you go into real estate? You know, you have great people skills. You know, you know and love the city. And you're the master of your own ship. How long have you been in real estate? Oh, I've reached that point where you're not supposed to say the true number of years. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, in, in uh, truth, this month, it's 23 years this March. Let's go back to the beginning when you first transitioned into real estate. Did you have a fast start or a slow start? I was rookie of the year my first year. Uh, and I was number three in the city by my third year. What do you attribute to that fast start? There were a couple of things. One is that I, when I came into the business, it was 1994, the average age of a real estate agent was close to 70, and the world was starting to change. You know, the internet was just around the corner. I was young. I had come from, as you know, as we just discussed, um, you know, pretty strong uh, career history. I was also very involved in a number of uh, charitable boards in the city, so I, I knew a lot of people and had already served in leadership positions that gave me an opportunity to kind of prove my, you know, prove my ability uh, in front of, the, you know, my peers. And so, you know, it was kind of right place, right time. I had the right skill set. The, the industry was changing dramatically, and I... I was, you know, poised to come in and, and ride that change or lead that change, I think, in many ways. Let's move forward to today. How many homes did you sell last year? A lot. Um, I think that it was something like 111. Do you recall the sales volume? Yes. My sales volume was approximately $141 million, and my average sale price is about $1.25 million, so a million and a quarter. Oh, wow. That is fantastic. Yeah, we're going to talk about luxury homes in just a minute. That's that's pretty awesome. Staying here just on stats for a second, do you recall your best year, what year it was, and, and how many homes you sold? Uh, in 2014, I did $160 million in sales. I don't know the exact number of homes, but in that year, I think our average sale price was closer to a million one. And my understanding is you've had a pretty amazing career. Do you recall how many homes you sold in your career and what the volume was? Oh, I've done uh, sales in excess of $1.5 billion. And I think that the total number is around 1500 
Wow, so you're a billion-dollar agent. Yeah, well, working on getting to $2 billion. <laughs> That's coming up soon, isn't it? That's fantastic. Congratulations. Well, Jenny, let's do this. Let's talk about where you are. This, this goes out all over the world, so please describe where is Chicago, Illinois? You bet. I am in the heartland of the country. Chicago is the biggest city in the Midwest. And my market is right in the city. So it's funny when you're on a trip and you meet someone and they say, oh, I'm from Chicago. And you say, where? And they, some suburb, you know, 45 minutes outside of town. Um, I'm actually right in downtown Chicago. It is unlike some parts of urban America. The city here is very residential, uh, but it's also very livable. You can uh, have a great quality of life and enjoy world-class restaurants and culture and shopping and parks and amenities. Um, but it doesn't have to break the bank like it does in some other cities in this country. Do you recall what the population is there in Chicago, the metro area? Oh, gosh. No, 5 million, 7 million. You know, it depends how you kind of count the numbers. If you get out into the suburbs, it gets bigger. But I think we're the third largest city in the country. You said you're right in the middle of downtown. Are you working just the downtown market, or do you work all over Metro Chicago? I work only, mostly only within the city limits, and even within that, within a you know a small subset of the city. Uh, I have, from time to time in my career, taken unique homes clients in the suburbs, but that's very rare, and then they need to be really something exceptional. So my core business is in the city, but but I, if if you're not from Chicago, you might think that that means that it's all high rises, and that's actually not the case. The majority of my business is single family home sales, um, and we do also sell townhomes and condos and some high rise condos and you know, a little bit of everything, but, but mostly we sell houses. Can you please describe your current real estate market? The real estate market in Chicago is more conservative than you might find in the East or West Coast. Uh, we don't have a lot of international money coming into our market. You know, it's more uh, people, you know, earn their, uh, their income through their work and, and, you know, work hard to be able to, to afford where they live. So I would say that it's, we don't have kind of crazy swings in prices. We don't have, you know, off-the-charts sort of celebrity sale prices and that kind of thing. In the city itself, the prices vary a lot by neighborhood. So in the most expensive neighborhoods, you would have condos selling over $1,000 a square foot or single-family homes selling up to, you know, 10 or $15 million, but that's the very, very high end. Um, in your sort of regular neighborhoods, you might see houses selling in the regular kind of north side neighborhoods. You'd see houses selling in the, you know, 800000 to $2.5 million range. And you can buy a, you know, a a small condo in a nice area, you know, starting around maybe 300000 So it just, you know, it all depends. To clarify, in the area where I sell it, it's, it's close to the lake, 
Um, it's close to downtown or, you know, and some of it in the heart of downtown. So you're talking about probably the most expensive part of the city. But as you travel away from the epicenter, you know, the city becomes more affordable. Jenny, do you have a niche or a specialization in your market? You know, my specialization really is about how we how we market homes. And so we don't just do this neighborhood or this property type or this buyer profile. You know, we work the full spectrum, but we work differently than most people. And and you know, I know that sounds a little obtuse, uh, and I can explain further, but our niche is how we go about marketing property. Well, let's jump into that. Can you tell us what makes your marketing unique? What are you doing differently than the average agent or other agents that you're competing with? I'll start at the beginning, which is that when I got into the business and I went to real estate school and they showed us all the ways that agents market property, I said, well, that's great, but that's not what I'm going to do. I looked at other industries and looked at the quality of advertising and photography and copywriting and in, you know, ads for people like Apple Computer or Hyatt Hotels or other, um, other luxury brands. And I've always focused on role models that are outside of real estate. So, when I started listing homes, I was very, very particular about the quality of the photography that we used. And and it's not just making sure that we have, you know, a, a properly staged home, but it means the right angles, the right number of shots, that they're um, appropriately color corrected, that they're not funny crops. Um, so I I believe that the first and most important way that you present a home is through exceptional photography. The analogy that I use with sellers is that um, they need to think of the home selling process as something akin to internet dating. And unless you've got really spectacular pictures, you're not going to be as attractive as somebody else. And so so that attention to the detail of the photography it's probably one of the first tenets of my differentiation. Uh, this, the second one is my copywriting. And again, you're thinking, Jenny, these are really basic things. You know, where's the, where's the silver bullet? But the silver bullet is approaching the basic things with a different eye. So let me give you an example. The Internet is extremely powerful. It's a wonderful venue to talk to the consumer. But the way that our industry is set up, at least in Chicago, when we put a property into the MLS, we're talking, we're not talking to the public, we're talking to an agent. So it's a, a B2B communication. Um, and in most cases, and the MLS requires you to really speak in, in an abbreviated vocabulary. You don't have the ability to go on and on about your property. You have to keep it short and you hit the key details and that's it. The way that Zillow and Trulia and the other consumer websites are fed, the MLS remarks populate those fields. So 
if I'm speaking to realtors in Chicago through the MLS, that's what goes onto those public websites. And, and I'm not speaking in a consumer voice. I'm speaking in a professional voice. One of the things that we do that is different than most people is that we don't leave that alone. We go in and we replace the remarks in the consumer sites with copy that's actually written for the consumer. And the reality is that you can put almost three times as much copy in those web portals than you can in our MLS. So I would not take the MLS and say, located in the heart of Chicago's vibrant Gold Coast neighborhood, blah, 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 I'm just going to hit right to the point about the size and the square footage and, you know, the key, the key details. But in the Internet, where the person who's reading it may be a potential home buyer coming from London or Miami or Seattle, somewhere that isn't familiar with Chicago, I have the ability to build a much more complete story, not just about the home, but about the lifestyle, the neighborhood, the, you know, the schools, whatever it is to paint that picture. Does that make sense so far? It does. It does. I, I like that. In fact, I have a couple quick questions, if you don't mind. You mentioned the photography, and then I want to come back to copywriting. The photography, you got into a lot of detail about the actual pictures themselves, the photos themselves, the cropping and the color correction and the angles. Who is taking these photographs and then who is reviewing them and and, uh, improving them in the editing process? That's a great question, and I think you'll be surprised at the answer. I am the photographer. (laughs) Cool. Uh, (laughs) I've been shooting since I was in eighth grade, and when I first got into real estate, I hired photographers because I assumed that they would know better, and I would get the photos back and notice that the pillow had fallen over or one light bulb was out or... You know, the angle wasn't flattering or the electric toothbrush was still on the sink. And I was so frustrated that I just said, you know, I, I think that it's really, it, it became very difficult for me to to delegate that. So I started shooting and I have been doing it now for many, many years. And um, it's every time I hire somebody, I again, I'm frustrated, even the pros here, because some of them don't have the right equipment. They don't. They, they don't understand how to obtain the most flattering angles. And when I shoot, I go, I'm go. i actually styling the house. So I'm looking through the lens and saying, there's too many chairs in your dining room. Let's pull two. I can see this orange thing out the window. Can somebody go move that for me? So I'm actually perfecting the image as I shoot. And then... When I'm done, we take the raw images, and I have a marketing team that that goes through and color corrects, picks the best images, and then they come back to me to make the final decision about uh, image selection and the order because, again, this is about attention to detail. I want the pictures to tell a story. I want the people who are looking at them to feel like they are walking through the house in a logical way. And sometimes we've all seen on the MLS or in the web where it's this sort of schizophrenic presentation where you 
you see the front of the property and then you're in the bathroom, then you're in the basement, then you're in the kitchen, then you're in the living room, then you're in another bedroom. And you're so lost because it's like they just scrambled up all the pictures in this crazy order and and it, it doesn't work. You, you have to tell the story in pictures, just like you'd tell a story in words. Okay, so I want to I want to dig into that a little deeper. When you're taking the photos, is the homeowner there, or do you have your team there to help you move things around? It depends on the property. Many times the homeowner is there, and I like that opportunity because it gives us a chance to just continue to get to know each other and chat. I don't really ask the homeowner to do a lot other than help me find a dimmer switch or uh, ask if it's okay if I take a painting down off a wall or something like that. But if it's a property that really needs a lot of tidying up or uncluttering as we're shooting, I'll often bring a team member with me to help. Yesterday, I photographed two properties. One was a condo that's owned by an elderly couple. And they've been on the market with another broker and their uh, um, furniture and their accessories are kind of frumpy because, you know, they're older. The, the buyer for this will be a young couple. And so I actually ran over to Bed Bath & Beyond before the photo shoot and I bought some kind of fresher, brighter linens, some different things to help them change the way that they're their home feels. This is not, you know, renovating. This is what I call lipstick. And so one of my team members came over and helped us change the beds and helped us kind of restyle the dining room and and those kind of things. So we spent about 45 minutes on that before we started shooting. I'm sure people are, are listening and thinking, well, Jenny's really experienced a photographer. She's a very experienced photographer. She's been taking photos for, for decades. She has a great eye for it. But if I don't know how to take photos, what do I do? What kind of recommendation do you make for an agent who doesn't know how to take photos, but they want to have quality photography? So that's a great question. I think that, that even if you don't know how to take the photos yourself, you need to understand what you're looking for. And there are a handful of um, tips that I'm happy to share with you right now that would be a really good place to start. Let's do that. Great. So one of the key questions is light and time of day of your appointment to take your pictures. So sometimes we have a seller who says, oh, you have to shoot my home in the morning because the sun pours through the windows and it's so bright and beautiful. And the reality is that you cannot get a good picture if the sun is pouring through the windows. You can't shoot into the sun. So if most of the windows face east, then I want the photo shoot in the afternoon where I could actually see a blue sky out the window and not the sun pouring in. So, so the first thing is understanding time of day. Another, another thing is understanding that sometimes you might need to shoot the outside one day and the inside another day because you you want to get the outside with a beautiful blue sky and maybe it you know it's hard to get there so so sometimes it's not to be afraid to go back and shoot or reshoot certainly if you've got photos with snow in them 
and now it's spring, you need to reshoot your exteriors anyway. But so one of the ways that I think about photography is I think about it as a process. You, I don't, don't shoot once and it's done, but I'm sort of, I might shoot again because the redbud tree is blooming and now the front of the house has got this amazing picture. So, so one, one way to think about it is to think about it as a process. Another key is that they should make sure that their photographer does not use a flash. Flash pictures have a completely different feel, and it's not, um, it's not flattering. So uh, uh, the professional photographer should put their camera on a tripod and shoot with a little bit of a longer exposure, and that's how they'll get natural, you know, nice natural light. The colors won't be distorted with a flash, and that's a key to my approach. Another one is having the right equipment. So the ideal lens to shoot the interior of a property is is about a 12 millimeter lens. If they're trying to shoot with a 35 millimeter lens, you'll see a slice of the room and you won't see the full width. And it'll look like you're just shooting a furniture catalog because that's about all you can get. If you shoot a bedroom with a 35 millimeter lens, you'll get a picture of a bed but nothing else. So they want to make sure that their photographer has the right equipment, comes at the right time of day, and doesn't try to use a flash. Or You don't need to hire somebody with lights or any of that stuff. You just want natural light. And then I strongly encourage people to be there. Don't just send the photographer, but be there and, and, and stand behind the photographer. Look at the back of the camera. And look through the lens because, again, the photographer may be reluctant to move the homeowner's collection of bamboo plants off of the windowsill or unclutter in a way that would be distracting in a photo. And the agent really, even if they don't know how to take the pictures, can be the advocate for ensuring that the home presents itself well in the pictures. You mentioned that once you get the pictures, you're going to make sure that they go in a certain order. So you tell a story, you walk people through the home. If you want to make sure that people are walking through the home, why don't you use video instead of photography? That's a great question. So what I have found is that uh, most people want to be able to manage the tour at their own pace. And the benefit of photos is that somebody can click through as quickly as they want. They can pause for as long as they'd like on the room that's important to them and focus on it. But they can, it, you know, it's like a self-directed tour. They can, they can go to what they care about and, and linger uh, or zoom in or whatever. With video, I have done some video, but I find that People don't have the patience to sit there. If it's too slow, they're, they'll turn it off. If, if it's too quick, you know, they might, it might gloss over something that they'd like to see. And I just, you know, I, I, there might be appropriate times. I've done some television segments, you know, for NBC Open House and others, and, and those are always fun. And we'll link those to our marketing, but they're not my, you know, that wouldn't be my primary way to give somebody access to the inside of a home. I think still photos are, are the most effective. 
You've also mentioned that copywriting is important, that you go into the consumer sites and update or edit the remarks so that they're more consumer-oriented. What does that mean? Are you writing really flowery language? No. What are you trying to get across to the consumer? So just by way of background, and maybe this is the English major in me, I don't like it when people oversell. I don't think you're credible when you use a lot of adjectives or hyperbole. So I try to present my copy, just like my photos, in kind of a clear manner where I'm not overselling, but I'm certainly putting my client's best foot forward. What I'm really talking about, we've we've all seen in the MLS where it says, you know, 2BR, 3BA, blah, 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 with a WBFP, and, you know, it's all this, you know, <laughs> hyper-abbreviated realtor speak that a, that, a, that a consumer would look at and it would look like Greek. And what I try to do when I write a presentation for the Internet is to give background. So let's pretend that we're going to be listing a two-bedroom apartment in a uh, condominium building that was you know, constructed in the 1920s along the lakefront. I might start by saying located in Chicago's Belmont Harbor neighborhood uh, with panoramic views of the lake. You know, this home is situated in a prestigious building constructed in 1920s. There's 14 floors and a 24-hour doorman and, you know, kind of everything you'd need to live conveniently. You know, I'd walk them through sort of building and then I'd have a paragraph that says the highlights of the home and then I'd walk them through kind of the key areas and then I would maybe have a paragraph that says, you know, the neighborhood is 11 minutes from downtown by the express bus, Uh, the primary shopping street is, you know, and I would walk them through so that if you're coming from out of town and you read this copy, you would feel like you really get it. And I have um, I have received probably more uh, buyer leads from the Internet than most people in my market because they call and they say, you have the best properties for sale. And, I, and we're all selling the same places, but I think that the difference is that they connect more with what we're showing them because it makes sense. It's helpful. It, you know, we, we set the stage. It's not just a property dropped in a place that they don't understand where they've got to go to a Google, Google map to find it. We're, we're building the story of the location, the lifestyle. You know, when we write the copy, we're thinking about who our target audience is and we are spinning the lifestyle story to fit that. I wouldn't take a one-bedroom condo down in kind of the restaurant and bar scene and talk about neighborhood schools, right? And and conversely, if I'm selling a house that's got seven bedrooms, I'll probably spend a lot more time talking about neighborhood parks, access to, you know, schools, community activities, et cetera, because that's going to fit our potential buyer's interests more. It sounds to me like when you're writing your copy, you're visualizing living in the in the home and moving through the home and the activities around the home. Are you doing a lot of visualization in your mind? You're seeing it in your mind's eye first before you start writing? 
Absolutely. It sounds like that ties into your photography. Your photography is based up probably on something you visualize in your head first, for instance, when you walked into the home for the first time, and, and you're trying to then duplicate that in your, into your photography. Is that correct? That is, and there's one more element to that. And I do tell people that I see homes differently. Like, I, I really do. I, can, I, I see how they should be presented I don't just see them on face value, and that ties into staging. I am much more proactive than most people about giving our clients a laundry list of things that I believe will help them get the best price in the quickest time when they sell their home. Um, and my 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 list sometimes is, you know, some projects they can accomplish in a weekend. Um, but I've also had clients who spent forty or fifty thousand dollars getting their home ready for sale. So uh, I have to gauge my client's motivation and ability uh, to to tackle some of these things. But in virtually every home we sell, I do have some recommended requests, and it really makes a big difference. And and then that all circles back to this concept that buyers look online and say that, you know, we're selling the most beautiful homes in Chicago. And the reality is they don't start out that way, but we're more proactive before I come to take pictures to make sure that we're doing everything we can together to, to ensure that when we do take the pictures and we put them on the internet, that they're going to rock. And who's doing the staging? Are you doing the staging or are you hiring a professional stager? So I have a, a list of professionals that can help with a wide variety of services. Everybody from our painter and our handyman to the window washer to the guy that can reglaze their tile or um, polish up their marble or refinish their hardwood floors or put closet organizers in there. Uh, so I have a, a list of, of tradespeople and service professionals that I bring with me to every listing appointment. And that includes a professional stager who can go in and help them either unclutter or supplement where they're missing. Um, and I also have stagers who don't have inventory of furniture and accessories, but are really good at helping people thin, purge, um, again, unclutter, and, uh, you know, organize closets and things like that. So I go in with my list, and we talk, up, you know, I do a walkthrough with the seller, and we talk about what would be most helpful for them uh, to accomplish their goals. And... Uh, as we go through, I sort of circle, well, here's the window washer. You definitely need to call him, you know, and sometimes they have their own, but most people, I think the biggest barrier to, to helping a seller get these things done is that agents get, say, do this, do this, but they don't, they're, they don't know how to get started. And we try and make that easy for them. If they're not in town, like maybe they've relocated already, they're flying in and meeting us or, or, we're getting a key from a neighbor to go see a vacant house, then we'll say, you know, we'll get the painter in and we'll do these things. And many times they say, okay, you just, you know, t tell us what you need, pick the paint colors. You know, I have 
some things I really care about, you know, changing light bulbs and stuff like that. So um, in many cases, if they're not here, they just allow us to go get it done for them and, and we send them the, you know, the bills. Or um, if they're here and they're hands-on, then they, you know, they dig into it. And yesterday I had a, a new client call me and say, we're so excited. We did all these things. You have to come see our closets because you're going to love them. You know, and that's great because they're, you know, it's a collaboration. I, I, I'm not, you know, Helen Keller. I don't work miracles all by myself. We, it's a, it's a team effort, and the seller needs to buy into what we're doing, and then we all do it together. I'm sure that there are some folks listening. They know that I like to jump into a lot of marketing and promotion. But from your business perspective, this is the marketing and promotion. You are distinguishing yourself, how you are different from your competition. You really dig into these nitty-gritty details. And my assumption is that when you go on a listing presentation, you present this to the seller, the fact that you are going to dig deep into all these details. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. And and I bring I bring proof of it in the form of you know, sample brochures, which that's a place where I also can showcase my photography. Um, I bring print ads. So unlike many people in our business, I still do a decent amount of print advertising. Um, and and I, we're in some magazines. I bring copies of the magazines. So it's a way for me to say, look at how we presented other homes and I, and I tell stories about this experience or that experience and help them understand what our approach is, our business approach. And stories. Stories are super powerful. You've used several as we've gone through already today. Uh, that helps demonstrate to the seller why they should take the actions that you're asking them to take. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And And I don't come in with my agenda preset because... Every seller is different and every seller has different concerns and I I don't know what they are going to care about until I get in there. So I know that if they say, you know, we we've, we've got to be out in 30 days and we've bought this house and we're really feeling pressure, then we're going to focus on our our conversation about the strategy to try and get as many people in as quickly as we can and try and get multiple offers and try and ensure that their goal is met. If somebody else says my, you know, we're not moving till the summer and my kids are studying for their college entry exams and I don't want to disrupt my family life, you know, they might have a whole different set of concerns that we need to address. And in each case, we've got experience and we can say, well, if these are your concerns, here's how we'll work with you to ensure that, you know, that the that, that students aren't disrupted or that you get out as quickly as possible and, and go through. And in every case, I like to, I like to be as, you know, as concrete as I can. I, I drives me crazy when people promise, 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 but there's no substantiation to their ability to deliver. And I do the other. I say, here's what I've done before. I think we can do this for you. You mentioned also multiple times the word lifestyle, lifestyle story, lifestyle selling. What does that mean to you? What is your lifestyle selling concept? Uh, when we were in the recession not that long ago, 
all of us were faced with gigantic competition to sell our listings. In um, the city of Chicago, there were tens of thousands of condos for sale. And from the consumer standpoint, they all kind of look the same. You're looking at bedrooms, baths, square footage, finishes, you know, maybe a little bit of building amenities. But but the, the conundrum is how is the consumer supposed to distinguish between all their choices? When we talk about lifestyle selling, we're trying to help them distinguish by talking about benefits and opportunities, not bricks and mortar. Does that make sense? Could you give us an example of what that means by benefits and opportunities versus bricks and mortar? Sure. So in Bucktown, which is a kind of fun, a little bit edgy neighborhood in the city, uh, you have the blue line, which is one of our, you know, our subway lines running right through Bucktown. The blue line goes straight to the airport. So if you are a consultant and you have to go to client sites every week out of town and you're in and out of the airport, you don't want to live in one of the neighborhoods where it's going to take you another 45 minutes to get to the airport. Living next to the blue line is a spectacular opportunity for somebody who's got a, who wants to be in the city and go to cool restaurants and art gallery openings and all that kind of stuff, take their dog to the doggy park and be around other people their age. But they also want quick access to the airport, which is out in the suburbs. So if I was writing an ad or copy for, you know, a cool loft in Bucktown, I would highlight that it's um, got a high walk score, that it's in an area where there's, you know, some of the the newest, trendiest restaurants, um, but also that you can get down to the, you know, out to the airport in 20 minutes or 18 minutes or whatever it is on the blue line. So that I'm I'm actually sort of fishing for the buyer that cares about that because that differentiates me from the condos that are for sale in Lincoln Park and River North and Streeterville and Lakeview and all the other neighborhoods where the blue line is not anywhere nearby. You're not just saying, hey, it's by the blue line or this property was built with red bricks. You're saying you have quick access to the airport. You can get downtown to see the scene down there, the art shows. You can walk right over there to the dog park. You're, you're showing how they're going to live in the property as opposed to what the, the construction is of the home. Right, because most people, I mean, even when you, when you go, like in our market, we accompany showings. We don't use lockboxes. It's a little bit different than, than other places. So when we go to a property, the buyer's agent brings the buyer and the listing agent is there and the listing agent tours us through the house. And I'll never forget when I was brand new in the business, it was, I think, my very first buyer. And we went into a townhouse and the the listing agent was in the kitchen and she said, this is the refrigerator, this is the stove, and this is the sink. <laughs> and he looked at her and he said, and this is the door, and he walked out. <laughs> and, and it was because he said she was patronizing me. You don't, there's nothing to be gained from stating the obvious. And yet that's what most real estate marketing does. So we can see that it's got a hardwood floor, you know, it's got walls, it's got doors, it's, you know, it has closets, whatever. And you assume 
at a certain price that there's a refrigerator and a dishwasher and a stove and a bathroom and all those things. I mean, that's kind of a given, right? But what you don't know, especially if you're not familiar with the area, is why would you live there? So we try to answer the why question. I mean, uh, down in Streeterville, you're right near Northwestern Hospital, and there's a lot of empty nesters that are moving out of their big city houses or their suburban houses because they're tired of maintenance and upkeep and they want to travel. But it's also a selling point to be like walking distance to their doctors. As they get older, they're thinking, you know, I might have to be over there a little bit more and uh, be a lot easier to do that than have to get on the bus or the L to go downtown. You know, but if I could live right, you know, within a few blocks of Northwestern Hospital where my doctors are located, then... You know, when I go get checked up on my new hip or whatever, it's it's super easy. So, again, that's another lifestyle example, which is highlighting access to, you know, world-class medical facilities or, you know, it depends what you want. Millennium Park, you could be downtown and talk about, you know, all the great outdoor recreation and, you know, going for wine tasting or movies in the park or concerts in the park in the summer and or walking to the sailboat harbor. You know, if you... You can't, this is something I learned in high school, you know, when you're trying to be popular, you can't be all things to all people. So don't even try. Figure out who your audience is and talk to that audience because your potential for success is so much greater if you target the audience and you don't try and just speak so generally that you think everyone will like it because if you do, you'll get lost in the shuffle. That's a great point. So niche or specialized, know exactly who you're talking to. And how do you do that? It sounds like you do that for each property. You look at the property and you try to decide, again, in your mind's eye, who is the right person for this home and then talk to them? Yep. And we talk to them with pictures too. So going back, this is ad copy, web copy, brochure copy, but it's also photos. For example, if you have a condo right next to the 606 trail, which is really cool new thing in Chicago. It used to be an old abandoned train track and the city and the neighborhood groups got together and they spent a bunch of money and they turned it into this like long jogging, biking stroller trail. I don't know how many miles it is, but it kind of cuts through all these neighborhoods. It's raised up above and it just opened. And it's like this cool, great new thing that everybody's so excited about. Well, one of the properties that I'm about to list is like three doors down from the stairs up to the 606 trail. So you want to say like, like um, that if you're a runner or a biker, you know, this is like super convenient because you're right there. And in the city, that's valuable. Or if you, or if you're near, as I said earlier, a dog park or a dog beach, or, you know, I sell homes in, uh, a lot of the, our market is sending their children to private schools, but we sell also in in the better public school districts, you know, to families that want to put their kids in those schools. And and we absolutely talk about that. And and when we're meeting with a with a buyer, we might say, you know, their baby's two or whatever. They don't know what they want to do for schools, but maybe you want to think about being in this area almost like insurance. If you don't get into the public schools, it helps as a hedge to be in, 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 a, in a, did I say public schools? If you don't get into a good private school, it helps to be in a strong public school district as a backup. And 
uh, you know, we look, we look on the buy side. We're, you know, what are, what are your, the things you value most? And we sell to it. So why on the listing side, wouldn't we do the same thing? Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now, back to the show. In order to do that, in order to match up what your audience wants with what's around this property, you have to have a really good handle on your market and, and the geography and what is around the property in the first place. How did you develop that knowledge base? Oh, it's passion. I grew up in the city and I've had clients tell me that if I ever want to stop selling real estate, I could go work for the mayor's office. Um, <laughs> you know, I think, I think a core philosophy for me in my life, like in all things, not just work, is to be a lifelong learner. And I love to read. I love to go to conferences. I, I, I read self-help books. Um, you know, I always, I'm always, I'm always trying to figure out how to be a better person, to be a more skillful professional, uh, to do a better job as a parent. You know, it's like, that's just how I'm wired. I've never stopped and said, Oh, figured it out. I'm done. You know, there's no such thing as done. Um, and in the city, like the city is my product that I'm selling. The people come here and, you know, they're trusting me as their advisor to, to know where they might be most happy and satisfied with their, you know, with, within their budget, with what they care about. And so I just don't know how I could do it any other way. You kind of have to know. I mean, I, I don't pretend to know every neighborhood. I don't. And sometimes people will call and say, I want to buy here or list there. And I say, you know, I'm so sorry, but I just, that's out of my... Uh, bailiwick and I don't believe that I can adequately, you know, serve you, but let me introduce you to somebody who can. Um, but within the areas that I, that I'm most active, like I know everything because you have to. And, and I guess that goes to advice for somebody coming into the business too, is to, to get involved, to, you know, to read the community papers, to get on the community blogs and newsletters, to, you know, to go to restaurants, to, 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 to check out the theater, to like be a part of the fabric of the place that you're selling, because how else can you sell it? That was great advice. I, I really loved the way you said the city is my product. Other people could also say the community is my product or the neighborhood is my product. You're, you're going way beyond just the home itself. Yeah, in every aspect of what we do. Ginny, I, I know you also work on your brand. What can you tell us that you've done with your brand? I love talking about brand. If you haven't figured it out from what we've already discussed about photography and copywriting, my standards are very, very high. And in brand, it's the same thing. I mean, brand is all we have, right? At the end of the day, if you're not consistent and the consumer doesn't know what to expect when they work with you, then you have nothing. So um, I work really hard to to be able 
to deliver a consistent result. If somebody calls and they talk to me or talk to somebody else on my team, I want them to have the same experience. I want them to know that we care about them. I want them to know that we have the expertise to serve them. Um, I want them to know that we, on the marketing side, I believe we're capable of getting them a better price faster because of the way we approach our marketing. I mean, there's there's some things about who we are that are that I hope that people who who work with us or who um, even see us from a distance say, oh, you know, Jenny and her team, they're you know, they're honest. They they do what they said they're going to do. They um, they represent amazing homes. They price them well. She negotiates with integrity. She's passionate, and she goes the extra mile. I think those are the kinds of things I'd like to hope that people would say about us. I'm definitely a roller sleeves up kind of a girl. You know, if it if I if furniture needs to be moved, I'm the first one moving it, or you know, kind of whatever it takes. And um, and those are things that come through in again in everything we do. You know, all of our marketing, we don't brag. You know, we try to be factual. We try to be helpful. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And and you have, again, this concept in your head, and then it permeates everything that you do, this idea of hard work and honesty and integrity and going the extra mile, the attention, the detail for your clients and customers. Yeah. It's really big stuff because... You you know, and I I hate to say it, but you know one of the challenges for our industry is that most people don't trust salespeople, and they they think that we're out there to make a quick buck, and uh, you know that we might not give them the best advice. This is a you know a general challenge for you know for what we do. If they think that you know we can we can get a commission, you know that's our priority. And in with me and my team. You know, I, we're really upfront with a client and saying that, you know, you might find a house that you think is great, and we might tell you we don't think you should buy it because it's priced too high or it's too close to a bar or the train noise is going to be a problem for resale or you know whatever it is. And and we talk about the idea that we we want to make an investment in our relationship with our clients for the long term. This isn't about a deal. And I'll look at people. And I'll tell them, you know, I have plenty of business. I don't have to worry about how I'm going to pay my mortgage. What I have to worry about is making sure that when we're done, you're a raving fan and that when you want to sell your home in 10 years, you would never call anybody else. You're putting that seed in their head right up front. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I will, you know, there are agents who are not ethical. There are agents who truly don't know how to read a listing and they come in and they say, you know, where's the parking? And it says in capital letters, you know, this building does not have parking or, you know, you know, how do I take my dog in and out of the building? And it says in big capital letters, this, this condominium does not permit dogs or, you know, and you're standing there because you've just wasted everybody's time wondering how this happened. And, and the, the, you know, there's just a lot of people who, who really don't, they're not good listeners. And, um, I'll tell you, this is a funny story. I got a call last week from a guy who said, I want to buy a condo. He said, I'm young. I just sold my business to Google. 
And um, I said, okay, great. I'd love to help you. I said, are you, are you working with an agent now? And he said, well, I called an agent and I thought I would work with them. And they sent me 97 properties in email. And I said, wow, like, how are you supposed to make sense of 97 properties? He said, exactly. And I said, okay, well, let's put that behind us. What's your budget? He said, $5 million. So I'm taking him out tonight, and we're going to go see wonderful penthouse apartments that are in his budget. But I said, I'm only going to show you maybe three or four, because I'm going to pick the three or four that will best fit your needs based on what you've shared with me. And I respect your time. I'm not going to waste your time and expect you, who doesn't know Chicago and isn't in the business, to sort through 97 properties and figure out what you like. So there's my brand right there in action. <laughs> That's great. Uh, and the, the key to, to what I heard is that you're listening. You listen to what he's experienced before. You listen to what the problem was, and you're finding an immediate, quick solution for him. But I would never send anybody 97 properties, even if they asked me to. I would tell them that I'm I, – like I would say that I'm the wrong agent because I don't want to waste people's time. Because I've been doing this for a long time and because I know the market, I can cut through all that. And, I, and, and that's the value of working with an experienced agent is that I won't make him drive around for, you know, five weekends in a row looking at everything under the sun because I know how to take a precision approach to narrowing down. And he may give me feedback tonight and say, eh, these are too big or too much, or I thought that's what I wanted, but maybe it's not. And then we'll shift. But I'm still not going to send him 97 properties. Then we'll sell him four of something else, right? So that's about respect. Well, and the agent who sent out the 97 properties was probably worried. They're probably worried that they would miss something or if they tried to whittle down the list, they'd make a mistake. So you're very confident that you're listening and that you can uh, weed through the 97 and find the three or four that are the best ones for this particular client. Sure. And then we can have a quality interaction about the experience. You know, he can say, I like this and that. How does he, how does he give me feedback from 97? <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, he's, it'd be a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, and I don't have the attention span to sit and listen to it. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right. Well, Ginny, I have a question for you. Are, are you selling luxury homes? Yes. So luxury uh, is defined differently in every market. I would say that our average sale price is absolutely quite a bit higher than the average sale price for our market. There are some brokers here who might only sell 10 homes in a year that are all expensive. Uh, I would say for us, we're, we're a little bit different in that we do run the full gamut from uh, you know, maybe 300000 up to $10 million in, sale, you know, in price point. Um, our bread and butter is around, as I said earlier, like a million to a million five. Uh, in the city where I sell, that isn't necessarily a mansion. 
you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good property, um, but it might be a three-bedroom condo down by Michigan Avenue, or it might be a small house in Lincoln Park, or a bigger house in Lincoln Square. So it just depends on kind of where you are. But yes, I would say that they're all, you know, the the, the price of entry in our market is a little bit higher, uh, and they're they're good properties. Did you make a conscious effort to become a luxury agent, or is that just where you started your work? Yes, I did actually make a conscious effort. So I got into the business in 1994. As I mentioned earlier in our interview, my mother sold for 30 years, and my family has been involved with Chicago real estate on two sides since the late 1800s. So I grew up with a good awareness of you know, the buildings and the neighborhoods and things just from having it in my genetics and and around me with parents and grandparents. But I decided when I got into the business, it took me a little while to do this. You know, I came from, you know, a great college and had kind of a fancy career before real estate. And, and I really, even though my mother said it was a good thing for me to do, it didn't, it felt like a little bit of a step down uh, because I looked at my mother and her friends and thought, you know, I can do better than that. Um, and so when I when I came into the business, I said, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to raise the bar. I'm going to take it to a new place, and I'm going to, you know, hit it out of the ballpark. And so in 94, I said, I'm going to learn the market over a half a million dollars, which a half a million dollars in 94 is kind of like a million five today. And on... Our this was before the internet, uh, not long before, but before. So you really needed to go physically see properties on broker tour. You had no other way to kind of get inside. And when I first got in the business, every Tuesday, I would see 20 to 25 properties. I would plan my tour. I'd figure out the driving so I could get to all of them as quickly as possible, you know, in the three-hour window or whatever that I had. And I made myself a student of the over $500,000 market so that when I finally started getting listings, I could speak knowledgeably about other homes that had sold. And when I finally started getting buyers, I could speak about, well, we could look at this building and they've got a nice this and a nice that, or we could go here. The views are pretty spectacular. And nobody ever asked me if I had ever sold anything before because I knew the market. That's really interesting. So you did decide to go into luxury right off the bat. And so what you did is you learned that market. You got that knowledge base. How did you make sure that you got customers and clients that were in that market? I walked the walk. I just, it just never occurred to me that I wouldn't. I um, I read books about architecture. I, I, I just, I, as I said, I went to everything and and I, that was just, that, that was where I, I lived in that comfort zone. And so it was just kind of natural and normal. I mean, I, I did grow up in the city. I am a multi-generation Chicagoan, so I knew a lot of people. And once I started, you know, I could even, cocktail party conversation. Hey, I saw a penthouse and your building just came on the market. It's a pretty cool apartment. You know, you can, you can start sort of through your networking to talk about it. Real estate 
it's kind of like, um, you know, when you have a medical condition, somebody hears you're a doctor and, oh, can I ask you about my big toe or my, my pain in my knee? <laughs> and in real estate, it's the same. Everybody wants to talk about, hey, tell me about that house around the corner. You know, what's, what's going on with that thing I read about in Trump Tower? So the more we as professionals can, can be in the know, the, the more interesting we are in those, those social conversations. And then you, you, you can sort of demonstrate the ability of being an expert without, you know, having it be salesy. It's like, oh my gosh, you should see this crazy house for 14 million that just came out a block from you. You know, it's like, it's a way to have the, the, then the person thinks, wow, you know about $14 million houses. Right? That makes sense. It does. And the question I have is, were you already in that social network? Were you already living in these neighborhoods that had higher valued homes and working in the circles with people that own and sell higher valued homes? Yeah. I mean, I was in my early thirties when I got into real estate. And so, um, my own social group was, you know, building their careers and moving up and starting to buy. Uh, and I helped many of them, you know, in in our 30s do those kind of upgrade moves. Um, but I also, my parents' friends were out there. And as I, you know, once I kind of got my foot in the door, the business came to me. But, but it wasn't because I was sitting somewhere waiting for the phone to ring. It's because I was out and about talking about it. I sent a press release out when I got into the business and it got picked up in some of the media. I sent announcements out. And then every year I send a holiday card out to my social circle and my past clients. And it, it's got pictures of my kids. It used to have, before that, it used to have pictures of trout. I'd catch fly fishing. So, um, you know, it's personal. It's not work-related. And it talks about this and that and this cool trip I went on. And, you know, and by the way, I'm still number one. And, you know, thank you to everybody for helping make that possible. So it's sort of woven into the fabric of who I am, but, but my whole approach to business has not been about sort of pitching myself as an agent. I'm out there in the community. I'm active in the community. I give back. I, I was raised with a strong um, dedication to giving back to the city. My mother always said that it's our responsibility to do that. And so by the time I was, gosh, 40, I think I had put in more than 50 years of board work between all the charitable boards that I was working on. And so, you know, it's just, you're just out there and you're a part of it and people see you and meet you and ask you questions and then they see you again and then they see you a third time. And then when it's time for them to think about real estate, they call you. Jenny, if there was an agent listening to us right now and and they didn't have the social network to start. They they were born on the wrong side of the tracks, but they want to move into the luxury market. They want to start working that market. How would you recommend that they go about doing it? It goes back to another business philosophy that I mentioned before. Remember what I said earlier that you can't be all things to all people, right? So if somebody wants to get into that luxury market, they need to figure out directionally how they're going to accomplish that. For example, do they want to um, try and get on the board of a theater that, because they're passionate about theater 
and start to build a network of people through a common interest like the theater or maybe the zoo? Do they want to volunteer their time, you know, down at Northwestern Hospital because they, you know, they need to find a portal that aligns with an interest or a passion that they already have because you can't fake it. You can't just go do these things, just go through the motions for the sake of making connections. You have to find a way, you know, even if it's a book group or a, you know, whatever it is, but they need to find ways to connect with people that allow people to see and experience them in a non-work-related environment. So right before I got into real estate, I was president of the auxiliary board at the Art Institute. So for two years, I ran the meetings, I, you know, organized events, I had a 13-member executive committee, and I proved my leadership ability and my skill set in front of an audience of 60 board members. When I got my license, several people from that board were my first clients because they felt comfortable coming to me with their real estate needs because they had already seen my professionalism in action. So so I would say for somebody who wants to to step into a world that's a different world than where they are now, they need to, to identify the portal, as they said, that aligns with what they value or what they're interested in and passionate about and get involved and, and know that it takes time. I mean, for some people, it's their children's schools. I, I had my kids a little bit later, and I have actually been shifting where I spend my volunteer hours away from some of the civic uh, organizations that I've worked with for most of my adult life into uh, children's charities, children's education charities, and opportunities to support our school. Because at this point in my life, that's more important to me. And I've gotten work through that as well. But that's not, that's not my motivation, but it, it does pay dividends. Well, that's great advice to, as you said, align with your own interest, but you still need a direction. You need a plan. And, and you mentioned that. Uh, you mentioned the idea of working with a charity, uh, volunteerism. I was trying to brainstorm a little bit, maybe join a country club, move into a neighborhood that you want to start working with. You start to, as you said, because when you move into that neighborhood, you start becoming familiar with the schools and the other interests of the people in that area. And hopefully you'll find one that aligns with you. I think those were some some great pieces of advice there. It could also be, you know, join a running club or, um, you know, a singing group. Or, I mean, there's like, once you start to look into it, you realize that, you know, most people, if we're in sales, you know, don't hide in the closet. We're out doing stuff because salespeople are kind of wired that way. And so it's figuring out, you know, how, how do you make more connections through those other non-work-related interests? I have a story for you um, that I think is really, I think it's fascinating. I was speaking to a group of top agents in Minnesota about branding, and I delivered the message that you can't be all things to all people and that your um, best opportunity is to connect with people of similar values. And hobbies and interests. So I gave this example that you could go be a, you know, if you're a marathon runner, 
then maybe you want to even market yourself in running publications or, you know, sponsor events or, you know, figure out how to be in that. And this this woman came up to me afterwards and she said that she is a nationally ranked horseman. She, you know, she does jumping or something with horses. I, I think it was jumping. And uh, she travels the country and does this competition. And I said, that's awesome. I said, and how do your clients feel about that? She said, oh, my God, I'd never tell them. <laughs> and she said, if I, if I tell them, you know, they might not hire me because they might think, like, I might not be in town or something. And I, and I looked at her and I said, you are missing this huge opportunity. I said, when I am looking to hire somebody to work for me, I always want to figure out, like, what kind of drive they have. I want to work with people who are motivated and who've gone the extra mile. So I ask about metrics like GPA or, you know, accomplishments in college or whatever. When I'm interviewing, you know, for some of our team members, I'm always looking for somebody to show me that they had the passion to excel in something. I don't, it, does, it doesn't have to be any one thing. I just want to know that they've got that kind of grit and, and fortitude inside to be great. And I would, if I was hiring a real estate agent, I want the same thing. I want to know that I've got somebody who's got what it takes to, to really get something done. And I said, you're like, what you accomplished is so cool. You know, take it out of the closet and tell people. I think it would help her business a lot. It made no sense to me. Why, that's a great example. She's missing this incredible opportunity is right in front of her. You mentioned the word earlier, this portal. That's a portal into a whole whole big world of business that she could be utilizing and enjoying because she could be talking about a subject that she loves. Exactly. And she's like, you know, she said, oh, no, Chinese wall, you know, no connection between work and my you know, my family or my hobbies or whatever. And for me, it's the exact opposite. It's that, you know, there is no, there's no wall. My friends are become my clients and my clients become my friends. And, you know, it's, it's just because I work really hard. If I didn't enjoy and care about the people that I'm working with and for, then, you know, I, I couldn't do this. So for me, it's all related. It's all you know, one universe. Well, Jenny, let's talk about your marketing and how you pull all this business together. I have the understanding that the majority of your business is coming from your past clients and sphere of influence. Is that true? Yeah, it's a little bit bigger than that, actually. Past clients are wonderful, and we, we do get a lot of recurring business from them. Sphere of influence, you know, everybody knows what we do and how long we've been doing it and that, you know, hopefully what we stand for. But we've also reached a point now where I get a lot of business from people who Google like top realtor Lincoln Park or top realtor Chicago or something like that. And my name comes up. And so there, there isn't a direct connection through another client or through a, a firsthand experience, but they're actually Either they're seeing, you know, our signs all around the neighborhood, they're seeing our print ads, they're maybe doing a Google search. I do um, enjoy doing interviews. I have great relations with the media, so I am quoted frequently 
in the in you know the paper and online and and so if somebody's googling that comes up which helps a lot and you don't have to be a top agent to to build that you can do blogging you can you know you can find stories a lot of these guys will you know they'll look to hear from you if you have an idea so if somebody wants to build their an online presence uh not a paid presence but you know a as a as a expert in the industry you can you can do that if you really set out to do that but i think we're at a point we're very very blessed because um people find us kind of everywhere and come to us based on our reputation and our brand Let's dive into your past clients and sphere of influence since that is a, a, a large portion of your business. And then now you're, of course, getting business from elsewhere. But to the core business of the past clients and sphere of influence, can you tell us how many people are in your database of past clients and sphere of influence? Oh, a lot. Maybe um, 4,000. I mean, we we probably, I mean, we've, we've got certainly a lot of people, but then we've also got a lot of, um, you know, pretty much everybody we've done, you know, any any sales for on the list side or the buy side are in there. But then I have my kids' school lists and the charity boards and family friends and, you know, kind of a, they're all – we use Salesforce as our CRM, and they're all kind of labeled for, you know, what the connection is. Uh, and uh, – but it's – and it's a – kind of a pain in the neck to try and keep it current and and um, I don't think we're you know doing nearly as good a job on that as we could but uh, it's hard for anybody I mean people change cell phone numbers or move and you don't know and you know it's a it could be a full-time job for somebody to manage it so you've got a pretty large list, 4,000. You're keeping it in Salesforce. You said you mentioned the connections such as a school list. So you're taking these networks that you're going out and, and participating in, and then you're taking that information and you're putting it into your marketing database. Yes, but I use it very judiciously. So I would never, I don't, I don't do any kind of drip campaigns or anything like that, um, and I would never take the people that I know like through school or charity boards or something and suddenly drop them into those kinds of lists because they wouldn't like me. It's a little bit like when people use their personal Facebook page and talk about new listings. I think that's not a smart strategy. Um, People enjoy, you know, on something like Facebook, if you say, holy cow, I just listed this place and it's got this crazy view, check it out. And put that picture on, then people might say, that's really cool. Or yesterday I had a open house at a property and a fox went right across the lawn, like a real live fox. Well, this is a city. I've never seen a fox in the city. So I took a picture and I'll put that on my Facebook page and say, you know, have you ever, isn't this fun? Or maybe it's a little scary. I don't know. I, I have to think about it. But, but I will use social media to talk about real estate in that kind of a context um, but not like just listed, just sold. And I would never do that through email or anything with my sphere. What I do do is um, I send the holiday cards. I already mentioned those to not everybody in my database, but a good number uh, with personal notes. And those are talking about, you know, our kids and our life and a little bit about work. And it's kind of a way to stay in touch without 
being, you know, salesy because I don't, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Um, I will uh, do occasional direct mail if I have a really cool property. And again, it's not like a traditional just listed, just sold card, but it's something really exceptional, beautifully presented, beautifully designed. So it it goes back and it's a it's a good representation of my brand. There's nothing that I do on the marketing side that's, you know, just a one-off kind of who cares, just shoot it out. Like that's not our style. I'd rather do less and do it, execute it really well than do things that are, that are compromise, you know, what, what we stand for from a marketing standpoint. Could you walk us through maybe the annual marketing plan that your past clients have sphere of influence? You mentioned the holiday cards and an occasional direct mail piece. Are you doing other things? I do. Um, so I do events. I think my best event ever was the disco party that we held about a year ago <laughs> where we flew a John Travolta impersonator in from out of town and we everybody came dressed in disco attire and we had um, candy and food from the period and obviously music. And it was, and I had a professional photographer there shooting portraits of our guests, which we delivered after the fact to everybody. So they had kind of a, a keepsake following after the event. But, but we, we had maybe 250 people at that. I invited more. Not everybody could come, but it was a way to reach out to what I think some people would call like their A-list. You know, it was, it was people, some of them are clients and some of them are people we know from school or social stuff, but you put them all together and then it becomes, oh, well, how do you know Jenny? You know, I know her through, oh, she sold my house. Oh, and our kids are at school. And, you know, it's sort of, it, that's not the reason to do the event, but it's one of the benefits is that people have the ability to kind of see that, other people that they might know also know us and kind of build our credibility together, but in an amazingly awesome, uh, you know, fun event. And, and that's when I've been doing a Halloween party for families for going on 10 years. And it's the best party ever. And we have the best candy and the best activities and the best stuff. And I've had, I tried taking some of the people off the list when their kids got bigger and they like called and said, something's wrong. I didn't get my invitation. So I realized I can't, I can't take people off. I have to just add to it. And, it, it, you know, it's going to reach a point where they're all going to be in high school and we're going to have to have, like, a band or something. It's going to shift from, <laughs> you know, when they were toddlers, you know, eating ice, icing on cookies. But that party, everybody says, like, it's an amazing party. And that supports my brand because I don't do anything halfway. So people come and they say, that's, like, unbelievable. Like, our kids would miss their soccer tournament to be at your Saturday morning Halloween party because it's the best thing, you know, in their year. Like that's, and that's what I stand for. I mean, we do dinner parties. We take people to the symphony. You know, we do one-up things. We do bigger things. um, But we do a lot of entertaining throughout the year. How many large events do you put on per year? Mm, Large, three probably. So like the disco party, the Halloween party. And then one other. I, I did a hearts cards party for Valentine's Day where we had couples come and it was um, cards and, the, and a sit-down dinner. 
it sounds like you also do some smaller get-togethers. You said a, a dinner party. How? What does that look like? Oh, we do all kinds of things. Um, I've rented, like there's a great restaurant near our house. It's got a coach house, which is like private dining. And I think it seats 22. And so one year, the night after school got out, um, we invited our sort of best friends from our children's. I've got uh, three boys and from they were probably second and third grade at the time. So we invited 11 other couples who we knew from school. And coincidentally, about half of them are clients. Um, but we just did a, like, school's out our time to celebrate. Let's all go to dinner. And so it was super easy because it wasn't at home. But we do parties at home. But we do, like, um, summer barbecues in our backyard. We do, um, you know, I'll do girls' nights. Well, we'll go out and you know, do girls' dinners or stuff like that. Like, it just kind of depends on what mood I'm in. You know, I'll sort of figure it out as I go through the year. Or I'll get an idea, and and I'm not afraid to act on it. I love to do – I love to entertain, and I love to think of – I have clients we go on vacation with now. I have two two different clients where we've traveled with them multiple times. So these clients, they become your friends, or they are your friends, and then they become your clients. As you said, there's no Chinese wall. They're all melding together. Yep. And that's and that's the cool part. And not only that, it's like with some of them, you know, we're raising our kids together, or I'm following their grandchildren growing up, or, you know, we do become, in many cases, Facebook friends. And, and I love it when a client calls and says, you know, we want you to come to our you know, daughter's bat mitzvah or our baby's christening or our whatever. Like, that's that's the whole point. I mean, I go back to this idea that life is short and we have our relationships with each other. Like, that's that's the energy that, that you know, makes us all live and excited and have a great life is the connections we have through other people. And, and in our work, we, you know, I, we, we're helping other people. And that kind of goes to another thing, which is that, I talk about this a lot with my seller, sellers and buyers both. I say, you know what? Hang on. Let me shift. I'm putting my real estate therapist hat on now. You know, and it's like, <laughs> okay, now let's talk about, you know, because sadly, I've got a lot of clients where they're selling because they're getting divorced or somebody died. And so, or there's a relocation, but they just finished renovating their new house and they love it and they're not really that excited to be leaving. And so, Many times I'm sitting there, it's not just about, you know, fun and all this stuff, but, you know, I'm holding their proverbial hand through something that, that's rough. And for that, you know, you, it's not a transaction. We don't, in my team, we don't do transactions. It's not in and out. You know, we're making a commitment to be there, to, you know, to let them cry on our shoulder, to hear about the cancer, to, to bring them chicken soup, to do what it takes to support them because that's, that's what we care about. That, that's what we do. And so your business is not transactional, it's relational. You're making relationships that are going to last a lifetime. That's the goal. I mean, every once in a while you have one where you're kind of glad it's over with and maybe they won't make it into your CRM, but, but that's the exception. You do a lot of events for your past clients in Sphere of Influence. Is there anything else that we're missing that you're doing for your marketing for past clients in Sphere of Influence? 
No, I, I mean, again, I think it's just, it's just being out there. I have blogged. I haven't had time to blog lately. It was much easier in the down market. And a lot of people enjoyed kind of getting updates, but they weren't just about real estate. They were also about what's happening in the city. So my blog was sort of true to my philosophy that I'm not just a, you know, a person selling homes. I'm an ambassador for the city. So it was bigger, but I, I just don't, you know, I, I only get so many hours in the day and I wasn't really able to keep that up as much as I enjoyed it. Was that blog on liveandplayinchicago.com? Yep. I noticed that when I was looking around. That looked uh, pretty exciting. It was kind of like a newspaper or a magazine format. Well, I did magazine. I published a couple of magazines, uh, which were also live and play. And the blog and the magazine were meant to kind of be in tandem. And I had... um, Again, my kids were a little bit smaller, the market was slower, and I had more time on my hands, so I was able to write, you know, some really thoughtful pieces, and I I enjoyed that a lot, Uh, and I got a lot of business from some of my posts, and I still do, ironically. Um, People find them on the internet and call me, because the blog was a way, again, to sort of establish, you know, that I was an expert in some areas of what we do. Well, Jenny, let's talk a, a minute about your team. Could you do us a favor and describe your team? Sure. Um, I will start with a caveat that it was not easy for me to build a team because when you do that, you have to surrender or control. I mean, not completely, but you have to trust other people to understand your vision, to speak in your voice, and to do all those things. And and for someone who works really hard to get where they are, it's a little bit scary. Having said that, uh, I do recognize that I'd run out of time. I mean, you can only do so much and the day's over. And so the only way I could continue to grow my business over the years was to identify places that I could carve out and and delegate to another professional and then we'd have more time and then we'd all get our schedule full again and then we'd have to look and say, okay, now what can we carve out and give to another professional and how can we, you know, how can we grow without ever risking compromising the integrity of this, you know, vision that we've worked so hard to build. So, um, each time that I, I did add a team member or create a position, it was with a lot of thought and um, and design. And I would say to be successful for anyone who wants to grow their business or have a team, you have to have really clear job descriptions and well-defined metrics for what success looks like for that person so they know, because I know it's a shock, but people can't read minds. I always thought they could, but they can't. So you have to really come in and and be able to empower them to understand what you really want and then hold them accountable to that. So that's a little background. Um, In terms of my team, I would say that there are three different groups. Uh, My my, uh, client care team started with just an assistant to me, and it has now grown to include... Uh, an executive assistant who is responsible for my calendar, monitoring my email. Um, you know, she's kind of the gatekeeper to make sure that 
you know, I don't have 10 people all interrupting me when I need to get something done, that I can have enough travel time to get where I need to go, that I don't forget to eat, you know, just kind of the basic core stuff. And she's um, spectacular. I also have a personal assistant who really helps me um, with a lot of things, you know, driving my car to get uh, serviced or picking up my kids or doing whatever because I am a mom and, a, you know, I work a lot and I, and I need some help there. So that, and it, she's, you know, an amazing woman and really without her, it would be very hard for me to be able to have the focus that I need to have on work. I have a listing coordinator who works with all the leads that come in and schedules the listing appointment, prepares all the materials that I need to go in and meet with the seller, um, you know, does the research, assembles the marketing samples, and basically cues me up to go in uh, to to get that business. Um, If that seller is going to move forward with our team, he would... um, be responsible for ordering the sign, creating the MLS input, obtaining the condo docs, and, and the other things that it takes to kind of get us launched. Once we are on the market, the we have a concierge, and her job is to do all of the scheduling. As I mentioned earlier in the interview, in our market, we accompany our showing, so scheduling is much more complicated. People call and say, I'd like to see this property at 315 or at 220, it's not, there's not a window of time. There's no, you know, here's the black box, go, you know, go show it yourself. We actually have to meet them there so that scheduling a showing requires coordinating with the seller's schedule, one of our agents schedules to meet the buyer and the buyer's agent and her, his or her client's schedule. So um, it's a little bit more complicated and she, our concierge does all the scheduling and then she does the follow-up feedback. So whoever on the team does the showing, whichever salesperson calls into the office afterwards and answers a set of questions that she types up and puts through a uh, feedback program that we use so that the agents get a real-time email that tells them about the experience that we had uh, with that showing. Jane also sends them copies of the ads, occasionally a market update that I'll write and she'll circulate it out. Um, But the goal is for the concierge to be in regular contact so that the client is feeling a lot of love from us during the selling process. Once we have an offer, our, our contract coordinator kicks in. She monitors the negotiations. Um, tracks them carefully so that we never have a misunderstanding about who said what or didn't say what. Um, And then if we reach agreement, she assists with getting the contract and DocuSign circulated, distributed to the attorneys. Illinois is an attorney state, so we use attorneys in the, the, the process of getting title and negotiating the inspection and things. She monitors all the deadlines. She attends the home inspection, the appraisal, the final walkthrough, and the closing. So she is my right arm when it comes to uh, making sure that the deal closes. Between my listing coordinator, my concierge, and my contract coordinator, uh, we're in constant communication. If they need something, there's a client calls, they need to talk to me, they send me a text. 
If there's an offer that comes in, they send me a text. So although they're keeping the engine running in the office, you know, I'm always in the loop on what's going on. I think that's it for client care. I have I do have a weekend office manager who's essentially doing the concierge job and my executive assistant job rolled into one. She's watching my email on the weekends. I always need somebody watching my email so that something important doesn't come in and sit. Then I have a marketing director. Uh, we're currently outsourcing some of the production work, so he is essentially managing the process of making sure that we've got our pictures color corrected, our brochures laid out, our e-blasts, you know, queued up to go, our print ads, our digital ads. You know, he's he's sort of um, a conductor in an orchestra uh, because some, much of it is managed by one entity, but we have other vendors that help, you know, occasionally as well, uh, custom websites, whatever it is we're doing, he's he's um, really on top of that and a critical uh, person on the team. I have a five-person sales team. Um, a, unlike most teams, their primary role has been to do showing support. I generate the majority of the business, and they're the ones who are out meeting the buyers and their agents to see the home. Um, but they also do generate some listing business, and they work with most of our buyer leads. So when somebody calls from the sign or an ad on a home that we have for sale, they will take that call and um, attempt to convert that buyer. Over the years, you know, they've as their skills have grown, they have become more agile at bringing in their own business to the team. But when they do that, it goes through the marketing channels and through the listing coordinator, the concierge, and the contract coordinator in the same way that I would. So there really, there's no sense that a team member would kind of do their own thing. Everything is run through our processes so that it reflects the brand and it's consistent with what we do, you know, across the board. And then I do have a team manager. Uh, he is, like, I think his official title is Vice President of Operations, and his job is to make sure that everybody in here sort of knows when they need to be aware and what, you know, what their job is and what's expected of them. Um, he So he serves kind of an HR role, but he's also a systems guy, so he is the person who, when we moved offices, found our phone system, who selected our CRM, who, you know, who's sort of the go-to person for any kind of logistical thing that we need. We were, we replaced our color copier and he managed the, the kind of the interview and screening process and bidding process to determine what that looked like. And, and there's no way that I could ever be at this level with this many people on the team without a team manager. So I think that pretty well covers it. I have a, I have a part-time bookkeeper. Um, he's not in the office, but that's, that's another key thing. I guess he does payroll and uh, manages all of our expenses. And... Are you profitable? Yes. It would be a lot of work to do all this and not be profitable. Um, <laughs> I probably tend to run my business more lean than most people. Um, 
And I know, you know, I have a coach and my coach is always worried about, you know, how much is all this costing you? But, you know, the agents are in, a, you know, performance-based compensation and I want them to make a lot of money and do well because if that that's good for everybody. And client care, you know, they're incredible and they're we're, we pay probably, I think, above market. Um, if anybody asks for advice, I'd say if you find great people, you know, you want to keep them. So you don't want to cut corners there. We, we're doing fine. Would you mind telling us what your profit margin is? Probably mm, 35% of my GCI, something like that. So 35, about a third of the money ends up coming down to the bottom line. Right. Well, Jenny, what drives you? I don't know that I've ever just not had a lot of drive. I get up every day, happy for the day, and um, excited to have the opportunity to go out and do great things. I'm definitely a people person. You know, I've heard that sometimes, you know, if people have a bad day, they want to go inside a dark room and close their eyes and be by themselves. If I've had a bad day, I want to go be around my company and my friends or my family and have a glass of wine and, and like, get energy from my, you know, the people I love. I think for me, it's just, I like, I like helping people. I like being there and being in the middle of it and, and, you know, getting a hug at the end of a deal and, and I have, I, I'm a hugger. Like I, I'll meet people and I'll come into their home and they'll tell me, you know, they've got a cell because they've got an illness or something. And like I'll, I'll always hug them. And they, some people might think it's strange, but it goes back to kind of like, what are we here for? You know, we're here to support each other. And I, I, I value the fact that I have the opportunity to do that every day. Well, Jenny, why have you been so successful? You know, a funny story. The third year, my third year in the business, I was number three in Chicago, and I had no idea. And I I just kind of put my nose to the grindstone and did what I thought I was supposed to do. And, um, and then when I came up for air, you know, I discovered that I had outperformed, you know, our market. I think that just kind of the story of my life. I've always, I've always just never really met a challenge I didn't think I could tackle. Um, when I was in high school, I met my college counselor and he asked if I wanted to go to college and I said yes. And I told him I had already interviewed on campus at 21 schools and I had picked seven I wanted to apply to. <laughs> and this, is, this was before the common application. So that was like with a typewriter. So a lot of work in those days. And the college counselor told me that I wouldn't get into any of my seven schools, that I was stretching too far and I should realign my expectations. And I told him that I enjoyed meeting him. I wished him well and he didn't need to worry about me. I'd just go take care of it myself. And I got into half my schools and I went to an Ivy League college. So, you know, I, I think that's just like, that's about how I'm wired. You know, it just... I had a friend who called me and said, how would you like to go climb Kilimanjaro in Africa? And I said, okay. It never occurred to me I couldn't do that. And I just, I did. I mean, it was hard as heck. And I trained for it. But I, we said, okay, let's go do it. So we did. And so I think that a lot of, 
a lot of where I've been successful, it just never occurred to me that I wouldn't be successful. And I got up every day saying, I'm going to, you know, we're going to do great things today. Let's just go do it. You believe that you can do anything. Do you know where that came from? Well, my parents are pretty awesome and they've done some neat things in their lives. But, you know, I don't know where that came from. It just, I don't know. I guess it's just my wiring. Well, Jenny, if you're going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? I would tell them to write down their values and make sure that they look at them every day and they never deviate. I would tell them to find what success looks like for them and set their goals and standards high because there's a lot of mediocrity and if their goal is to be successful, mediocrity won't do it. So they should look at other industries, they should look at other role models, they should read books and bios or listen to TED Talks or do whatever it takes to learn how to be the best at what they do and then they should keep that with them all the time. Like you can't just go into real estate and get a business card and a license and sort of wait for something to happen. You know, that's that that's that's the formula for nothing. You know, you've got to proactively take charge of your career, whether it's real estate or anything else. And every day figure out what are you gonna do to be better? What you know, what can you learn? What what book, what strategy, you know, go to conferences. I mentioned earlier that I'm a lifelong learner. I go to four or five conferences a year. I love networking with top agents from around the world. I get more great ideas from hearing what they're doing, and I enjoy sharing mine as well. That's why I'm on this call. But but the fact is that, you know, every day, whether you're starting out or whether you've been in the business 20 years, you want to get up and think, how can I improve? How can I do better? And uh, And that's how you'll be successful. Jenny, do you think that top agent interviews like this one with Mastermind Agent are valuable? I think they're extraordinarily valuable because if you if you don't get out of the box of your own mind frame and you and you open up and and learn from other people, how will you grow? I mean, you, you, there's so much there, uh, and there are you know a number of people in our industry who are willing to share and. And it's, you know, it's a great opportunity. What, what does somebody have to lose? Nothing. They have everything to gain from the experience of listening to, you know, to, to the best. Well, Jenny, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? If I had to go back in my mind's eye and review the 20-something years I've been doing this, I would say that the key thing is passion and you have to be excited about being with people, being in the place that you're living, selling the lifestyle. Like it all goes back to passion. You've got to love it. And if you don't love it, it's not the right job. You know, I have a relative, but because my family's in the business, I have a lot of relatives who tried it and then said, "Ugh, I don't like it at all. And that was good that they tried it and said no and they left and they went back to something that they liked more. Like, you should only do this if you really, if it really lights your fire. 
Well, Jenny, your passion shines through. You combined your love for your city with your love for your people and found a match made in heaven in real estate. You set the course of your career early by focusing on luxury homes and learning the market inside out. Then you found the portal into that market through volunteering and networking. Your attention to detail has become your competitive advantage and your brand. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 992 homes last year after only being in the business for five years. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.